Amen and amen and amen and amen. We are so grateful that we get to gather this morning. And so we are really grateful that you all have decided to join us here live stream, whether that be on YouTube or whether that be on Facebook. Um, welcome in as we get continually situated. Um, uh, like what a joy it is to be able to gather, even though this is not like our favorite uh, medium to gather in. Um, we have opportunity to do this together, to um, continually uh, commune, even if it's through screens. And so we're really grateful that you guys are here. As we continue on in our gathering this morning, we're going to continue on in Lent. And uh, just as Stephen started us off with the three temptations of uh, Jesus by Satan, uh, I'm going to continue us in that time together. So to get there, let's read the scriptures, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. If you've got your Bible, maybe you can bring it up on an app. Um, if you're not using your phone to live stream this, uh, we would love to continue on together. So here we go, Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. This is what it says. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. For 40 days, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Of course, Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up, and I want you to pay, pay attention here, um, that this is really the, the, the passage and the part of the passage that we're going to be speaking through, uh, verses 5 through 8. So, so kind of put your mind's affection here, right? And the devil, this is the second temptation, took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, this is what... Uh, the enemy says, right? And he said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered to him, it is written, you shall not worship, uh, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And now verse 9. And he took him to Jerusalem and he set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, notice the continual threat to his identity. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And now verse 13, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. It's a fascinating passage that we're kind of revisiting again and again throughout this Lenten season. And as I said, we're going to be focused in on verses 5 through 8 for our time together today. And as we do, we are reminded ourselves of like we're in the season of Lent. And Lent, if you'll remember, is a part of the Christian calendar, and the Christian calendar purposes us to center our lives around the life of Jesus. And 
There's no better time to be reminded that our lives need to be centered around the life of Jesus than Corona time. Corona time is this time when we are glued to social media and news feeds and whatever may distract us for a moment. And yet Jesus, even during this time during Lent, is saying, no, come to me, come and find rest. You may have to journey out into the wilderness. You may have to journey into social distancing and into quarantine, but there you will find me for my offer for rest never ends. You see, Lent is this time of testing where we have followed Jesus into the desolate place, into the wilderness. And as we are pleading with Jesus now to take center stage in our lives, it's a time where we ask the Holy Spirit to help us see the places and the things that we've over-depended on, the places where we want efficiency and entertainment, the places where we want productivity and pleasure. You see, Lent is drawing us to put Jesus at the center. And so last week, Stephen invited us to consider what kind of son will Jesus be as he pursues his sustenance in God's word or in a loaf of bread? What kind of son will Jesus be? Will he take his own resources and use them for himself, or will he use them to honor and glorify his father? In today's temptation, the one we're looking at today, the second one in Luke, it's actually the third one in Matthew, it's not what kind of son will Jesus be, it's what kind of king will Jesus be? Will he try to uh, abuse his relationship with his father and try and take hold of the kingdom now? Or will he continue to trust his father and his plan? See, Satan has, is, is saying, hey, look at all the nations. Look at all the glory. Look at all the authority of all the nations. You're a son, Jesus. You're not a servant. You don't have to go through death and all those sorts of things. No, take it now. It's yours. And so the same question that he's posing to Jesus is the same question that I want to pose to us. Will we believe that God and his plan, although we may not see the fullness of it, the timeliness of it, will we believe that God and his plan is sufficient for our every need, or will we look elsewhere for fulfillment? It's sufficiency. Is Jesus worthy of our worship, and where will we find our sufficiency in this journey. I return back to the scriptures in verse 5 where it says this. Look at the temptation that, that, that Satan puts out before uh, Jesus. He says, and the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He takes him and he shows him all the nations, all the kingdoms that could be on the world at that time. And that's the picture that Jesus is looking at when this temptation comes and when he refers Satan back to the goodness and the will and the word of God. You see, what comes with nations and kingdoms? If you think about what the temptation was, it's power, it's authority, it's freedom. When, you, when you're a king of a nation, you have ultimate freedom. When you, when you are a king of the nation, you have the riches of a treasury and you have the freedom to go conquer land if you see it fit. You see, that's the very thing that Satan was prompting and tempting Jesus with. And interestingly enough, if we were to just go back a couple of chapters in the book of Luke, it's the very thing that the Father, through the Spirit, had already promised to Mary. It's the thing that 
that God had already said about his son in Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33, which say this, he will be great, Jesus now, this Jesus, he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him, look now, the throne of his father David, kingdom, a nation, right? And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, mm, there will be no end. The promise that God had already declared, Satan now wants to seal, steal. And it's the same thing for us. What God has declared over you, Satan wants to steal. What God declares, Satan tries to steal from us. And how does he steal it? He, he takes the promises that God has given us, and he says, just take hold of it in your own means. Take hold of it with your own power. Take hold of it with your own limited scope of sight. You see, Satan's offers are always limited. They are always limited in both, pro both promise and payoff. Satan's offers are always limited in both promise and payoff. What do I mean? In verse 6, it says this, not just that this great temptation is there for all these nations, but look at the limit that Satan actually has, right? And he says this in verse 6, and he said to Jesus, to you, to you, I will give all this. To you, I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. It's a limit in authority. It's a limit in glory to only the nations that were there at that time. It's a limit to only nations. It has, and the reality is that God, Jesus himself, has unlimited authority, unlimited rule, and unlimited glory. Because he doesn't just get glory from nations. He gets glory from creation. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God. And so Satan was trying to tempt him with a very, uh, it's a very temporary uh, reward for him. You know, I think it's interesting for us that we have to think about this in Corona time where, you know, Satan does have a limited amount of authority on this earth. He has been given some authority on the earth. He is called a ruler in John 14. He is called a prince of the power of the ruler of the air. Jesus calls him the prince of this world. He has been given some authority, but it's limited in its scope. It's limited in its promises to fulfill us, is it not? I mean, if there's ever a time where we're reminded of the limits of the promise of this world, it's in these times, we have no control over what we can or cannot do. If we cannot work or can't work, where we can eat, where we can shop, when. And those limitations are growing day by day. You see, but the issue is, and the, the good news is, is that Satan has no authority over this world except that which has been given to him by our good Father. You see, Satan tempts Jesus for evil. Satan tempts us for evil but God tests us for good. God tests us for obedience. And Jesus will prove through this temptation and through our lives and through this coronavirus time, Jesus will prove ruler of all. In Colossians 1 verse 16, it's a passage that we read last week. I think it's helpful for us to be reminded again. Colossians 1 verse 16, it says, For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or 
or dominions or rulers or authorities. Everything, all things were created through Jesus. He is the agent of creation and the point of all creation, that all things were created for him, including us, that we all would give him glory. You see, God rules over all things And it's maybe no better evidence than in creation, right? Psalm 19 says that, man, like creation is is glorifying our God. Psalm 8 says that the the, who are you, who are we that you would have, uh, that you would be mindful of us because the galaxies, the universe declare your glory and they are the handiwork of your fingers that creating all things um, was just the work of his fingers, Surely he is worthy of our worship. Surely Jesus has created all things, and all things will give him glory. So this little tiny temptation, though it seems big, and don't temptations seem big for us? Though it seems big, it's actually tiny in comparison to the glory that God already has in Jesus. You see, Satan's lie for Jesus as it is for us is live for now. Build a kingdom in this world for yourself. For Jesus, it was through military power, through economic riches, through the conquering of land. You see, Satan would love for Jesus and he would love for us to just get busy. Just get busy prioritizing the physical, the physical kingdom, the one that everybody can see. See, Jesus, you would do a lot of good on the earth if you were a king of this nation. After all, didn't God promise this to you? You would do so much good. Could you imagine the world Being run by Jesus, man, that would be so good, but it would be limited to Jesus's physical lifespan, and it would be over by now. But instead, through his death, life, resurrection, and ascension, he reigns and rules forever. And so Satan wants us and him to prioritize the physical and neglect the spiritual. And so, like, isn't this us? Isn't this us in the everyday, much less in corona time, where Corey ten Boom would say this, like, if the devil cannot make us bad, he certainly will get us to be busy. Man, if there's ever a time where we cannot remain busy, even though the external activities of our world have been reset on a lot of, on a lot of levels, we can still be busy in our souls, thinking about, looking at, wondering what, if this, will that And we never actually slow down our souls to the point where we connect and understand what it is that God is inviting us into. You see, this whole story is all about our reset. Will we, what are we doing with our anxiety? What are we doing with our anger? What are we doing with with the places that we have found rest and identity? Are we bringing that to the Lord or are we continuing to just be busy with our screens um, instead? You see, this story, as well as all of the stories in the Bible, are all about us seeing God as being sufficient to worship, as worthy of our worship and nothing less. Let's continue on in the passage in verse 7. It says this, if you then will worship me, look at what the cost is to us and to Jesus. If you then, all this will be given to you, if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. So this is the great question. Will we worship the creator or will we worship the counterfeit? Will we worship our provider or the pretender? Will we worship our sustainer or the one who came to steal 
I, I just want to plead with you, Grove, and anybody else that's listening in. We will worship one of two gods. We will either worship Jesus or we will worship Satan. That seems harsh and that seems like a, like a, a real black and white reality. But in every moment, this is why we consistently confess our sins to the Lord, repent of ways that we have indeed traded in the worth of God into to, to worshiping something less. It's why we continually plead with ourselves to live in repentance, to live gospel-centered lives, because on a daily basis, we need the grace of God. We need to be reminded that we are brought into the kingdom, not because of our own works, because of the works of Jesus. And He alone is sufficient for worship. He alone is worthy of our lives to be centered around. Look at verse 8. And Jesus answered him, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. God alone is worthy of our worship and sufficient of every sacrifice that we could give, much less that Jesus gave. We think about the word sufficient. It's not a word that we use a ton, right? But it is a word that is translated throughout the Bible as enough, as worthy, as great, as satisfying, and certainly as sufficient. And so a question that I have for you this morning as we continue on in this desert that we certainly didn't foresee when Lent started, will we find God worthy of our worship? Worthy of our desire and our need for patience? Is he worthy of a trust of a faraway promise in a faraway land? Is he worthy of the call to self-denial? Is he worthy of living in his kingdom? And I want you to see what his kingdom, not the kingdom that Satan is putting before us, of a physical kingdom, of, a full, of, a, of limited authority and glory, but look at the ways that Jesus describes his kingdom. Will we live in this kingdom of a small kingdom like a mustard seed, of a slow kingdom like farming or the rising of flour? Let's take some time, y'all. It's a kingdom of sacrifice where there will be treasure in a field and we would sell everything we have. We would sacrifice everything we have and in great joy, not, not dig up the treasure, but go buy the field where the treasure is. Because we're not trying to steal it or take a shortcut. No, it takes sacrifice to pursue that type of kingdom. So the bottom line, right, is, is he sufficient? Is Jesus enough for you in this time and in every time? And is he worth it? Have you seen him as being worth it? You see, the kingdom that we can build will keep us from having to sacrifice as we live for our own glory. The kingdom that we can build will keep us from suffering as we live for comfort. The kingdom of, that we can build will keep us from serving other people as we live for our own power and control. And of course, the, key, the kingdom that we can build will keep us from submitting to God's reign and rule and just start to hoard our toilet paper and our Purell. That's the kingdom that we can build. But the kingdom that God is calling us into and that he's putting before us is one of sacrifice, of self-denial, of deep abiding trust in the character of God. You see, the kingdom of God is far greater than we could ever ask or imagine it promises to add all these things to us of provision and all these things that we would need but we have to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness it is that kingdom the god the kingdom of god's marvelous son where god's people flourish 
under his reign and rule, where we submit freely to his kingship, where we serve his family and surrender to his will as we trust in his word throughout our lives. See, that's the call in the desert. That's the call for all of us during this time. We find him worthy of all this sacrifice, of all this delayed gratification, where we take this this kingdom into our hands and get busy. That's the call for us. You see, the coronavirus invites us to find sufficiency in Jesus. He truly does. And this whole, this whole uh, thing hasn't caught God off guard. Instead, I don't, I don't have a PC. I have a Mac. I've had a Mac for a long time. But I remember the day when, I, when like, anytime you would call the IT department of whatever you were in, and you would say, hey, I got these issues with this, that, or the other. And they would go, have you restarted? First question, right? Control-Alt-Delete. Have you hit that Control-Alt-Delete process? Gone and restarted? The great restart, the great reset is upon us. Truly, the whole world has stopped in its tracks. I mean, think about the chaos and the news cycle before what we're in now. It was global warming. It was mass poverty. And that's still there, right? It, it, was, it was all sorts of different things that we were going to solve by legislature, that we were going to solve by nonprofits, that we were going to solve by our own efforts. And all of a sudden, God puts a virus on the earth and it halts all of our activity. And oh my goodness, the Great Reset is not just on this world and all of creation groaning and longing for the coming of the Son of God. And that groaning continues in our own hearts, does it not? You see, the great reset is upon us, and it's revealed so much about this world. I had to run a couple of errands yesterday, and you can see the people that aren't just used to being out during this time. I'm not used to being out this time. But I went to Lowe's yesterday, and it was like nothing had happened. I was, I was wondering, did these people watch the news or not? But if I go to Best Buy, it was clear that people had gloves on and people were really, uh, they were just paying attention to the things that they were doing. And there was no one shaking hands and everybody had their hands in their pockets. Whereas Lowe's, it was just hands everywhere, germs all over the place. It's a weird reality to go to those two places back to back. And so this is, there's just a, a lot going on in the world. And it's revealing a lot that's in our hearts, whether we're Christian or non-Christian, some things that I've just been noticing, right, is that this is what's been revealing for us. Like the church is people, isn't it? It's not a building. We've, we've been saying that for years, but we don't have a building. So it's easy for us to say that. But for those that have had buildings for, for literally centuries, they're now having to do this in a different world and in a different light and a different context and a different um, method and means to reach people because it's never been about buildings. And I don't know about you, but we are freaking out with things that we can't control. Like, that's the thing that's been revealing to me. Like, we don't know what to do if we're not in control. We, don't, we, haven't, we haven't really understood what it looks like to consider others above ourselves. I look at the news and I go, man, like, whatever's going on in spring break apparently takes precedence over whatever national emergency that we're in. We're not used to considering others over ourselves. We easily judge one another when they don't quarantine like us. And so there's feelers that people have been putting out, like, hey, are you quarantining? You, you social distancing or not? Oh, no. Oh, you are? Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then at your heart, you're kind of going, oh. There's, there's judgment whether we're quarantining or we're not. All these things are starting to be revealed in our hearts, right? But this great reset is upon us. And I would say this, that whatever God is intending to show us, whatever he's inviting us 
to see about ourselves, but more importantly, about who he is. Rest assured, friends, that the enemy is right behind him. He's right behind him to cause you to doubt, to cause you to stumble, to tempt you into taking hold of this physical, temporary kingdom that you can control and that you can hoard. And he's trying to convince us to just keep going in our busyness, in our minds. We can't go anymore with our activities. Well, how about in our minds? And he wants to keep us from hitting Control-Alt-Delete. He wants to keep us from resetting and being reinvited into the presence of God. You see, if anyone would have been justified to take a shortcut, it would have been the Son of God. He came from heaven to the earth. He found his Father, though, worth more than any shortcut that he could find. Then evading death and arrest and beating, he found his Father's character and plan and purposes to be worthy of sacrifice and service and self-denial. And so how about you? Is God enough for you? Not his blessings, not what he can give to you, but just his presence, just him. I don't know about where you are, but just as a leader of this congregation, I have been tempted to run ahead. I have been tempted to just like care for all the people in all the ways necessary. And, and through the, the wisdom and feedback of leadership, have I had to go, man, like that's not what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to rest in him. He wants us to pull back, to be invited, to reflect, to repent, to ask God to renew our hearts. God is inviting us not to overperform during this time and go serve everyone, like, much like that, that tug was there during Harvey and other floods, that, that same tug to just go over and do and then post it on social media so that everybody knows this, that, or the other. And that same tug is there, but the invitation is to go and be still. The invitation for us for this great reset is to still know that he is God. And he's enough for us. So the lies that I've been believing, and have I done enough today to help care for people? And the answer is no. But God has done enough to care for all people. Have, have you, like me, sought good things and forsaken the presence of God? Well, good news, he never leaves you or forsakes you? Have you, like me during this time, forgotten his goodness in the midst of some suffering? Well, the good news is that his goodness is what has allowed for that question in our hearts. Have you, like me, kept yourself busy hoping to ignore pain and discomfort and disappointment, longing for something more? The good news is this, that God holds out the promise of renewal in our hearts during this time? Have you, like me, sought him for blessing and not just for being him? And the good news is that God generously blesses you anyway, slow to anger and steadfast in love. Have you, like me, clung to things that we can go purchase at the store or on Amazon, forgetting that God has promised to provide for his children because he said he would? See, there's good news amidst all these failures and all of these um, fumbles and all the things that we may fall into during this time is that God's promises of presence, of blessing, of steadfast love remain. 
And so I want to end with this passage, one that was challenging for me as I was preparing for today. It's out of Philippians chapter 3. It's not in your liturgy notes, um, but it is uh, nonetheless worthwhile for us to be reminded of. It's from the Apostle Paul, and he, um, it goes into all of these things that he could boast in, right? He goes into all these things that he has actually suffered the loss of. He suffered the loss of of position amidst the Jewish culture. He suffered the loss of attaining respect from all those around him. He suffered the loss of the power and the control that authority gave him. He has suffered the loss of so much rejection through his life from religious leaders, not to mention his friends and all those that he had lived with for decades in order to become powerful and influential amongst the Jewish circle. And he's saying, man, all that I had. But look at what he says in this passage in Philippians 3. I want to start in verse 7. Philippians 3, verse 7. He said, whatever gain I had, whatever pharisaical status I had, whatever passion I had, whatever righteousness I thought I had, man, I was blameless. And whatever I gained in verse 7, whatever I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Will you and I count whatever we have for the sake of loss, for the sake of Christ? Continuing on in verse 8. Indeed, I now count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. Look at that now. The worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. It is for His sake I have suffered. It's for his sake. I wouldn't do this just for anything. It's for his sake that I've suffered the loss of all things. And I count them all as rubbish, as nothing to be owned or valued. Why? In order that I may gain Christ himself and be found in him. Not having a righteousness. It's so much better not to, not to have a righteousness of our own. Because if we have a righteousness or a kingdom of our own, we've got to keep peddling. We've got to keep going to keep it, to sustain it, to keep doing this, that, or the other. But if our righteousness and our kingdom is found in Christ, He is the one that sustains, and we come to rest. But, and He says this, Not of my own righteousness, of my own that comes from the law or obedience, but that which comes through faith, in Christ. The righteousness that, that the righteousness from God that depends on faith, not works. Verse 10. Why? That I may know him. He would, he would consider all these things lost that he may know God and the power that comes from his resurrection and that he may share his sufferings, Jesus' sufferings. How? Why? Why would he do that? Because he knows that in suffering, he becomes like Jesus in his death. And there's a greater thing than death. Verse 11, and that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. That through all these things, he would suffer all this so that he may lay hold and grasp on the resurrection not the life that's here and now, not the kingdom that's here and now, not the physical busyness that we can get caught up in, but that which can be found only through life in Christ, and that's resurrection. That's our hope. So may we heed this call to consider all things rubbish compared to the surpassing knowledge of being known 
and knowing Jesus. May we cling to the vine and abide in the vine, for without him we can do nothing. We may, we, may we find the spiritual nutrients that we find sufficient for our souls, quenching every thirst and satisfying every hunger. And may we do that for the long haul, not just through corona time, but through all of time. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. Thank you for being our God and our King who has come for us, has died for us, has resurrected for us, and ultimately has ascended to the throne, to the right hand of the Father, that you now reign and rule a kingdom that is far beyond the scope and the limitations that Satan held out for you. And you reign and rule over all things. And all of creation now honors you, gives you glory, and we want to be amongst that creation. We're going to give you glory through this hardship. We're going to give you glory through isolation. We're going to give you glory if this thing gets better. We're going to give you glory if this thing gets worse. So would you help us with that, Holy Spirit? Would you, would you, would you remind us of the places where we haven't looked to you as being worthy of self-denial? Would you illuminate places in our hearts that we need to repent, where we just confess to one another, to our family, to our friends, that, man, we're like, I have taken this into my own hands. I've taken my safety into my own hands. I've taken the safety of my children or of my parents into my own hands. And I've not trusted the Lord to keep us safe. I've not trusted the Lord to provide enough in the supply chain of grocery stores. I've not, suppl- I've not trusted the Lord to, in, in, the, in the supply chain of my own soul. Lord, would you help figure out, would you help us figure out in your wisdom, would you help us see that you, your presence is better than any present you could give us? Would you help us see that your blessing is better, your presence is better than any blessing that you could give us? So Lord, we come to you. We rest in you. We know that there is never, for for your kids, there's nothing in the way to just come to you to find rest. And so we want to do that this morning. As we go throughout our day and as we go throughout our week and the walls start to kind of close in on us, may we remember your good promises to us, that you would never leave us nor forsake us, that we can look at the sparrows, we can look at the lilies of the field and say, man, like we are of more worth than that. And if you provide for them, and if you've sustained them for this long, surely you will provide and sustain us. May we be a people that seek your kingdom and righteousness, and then all these things will be given, and may we not be a people to get caught up in the race provide for ourselves, to sustain ourselves. May we find rest in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.